This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Reading Youth Development Phase coach, Reese Denton. He discusses some of his techniques in gaining relationships with players, the work he does with football camps outside of academy football, and some of the benefits he has seen for academy players that attend these camps, as well as his recent awards from Football Blacklist and how equality in the coaching ranks can be progressed. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So, Reese, I know we caught up briefly uh, off air there, but um, all all well and looking forward to Christmas. Yeah, no. As you can see, obviously, I've got the tree up, so we're uh, we're all looking forward to it. Definitely. Perfect. So, for people that maybe haven't come across your work previously or don't know a lot about you, could you just give us a whistle stop tour? I guess of what you're doing at the moment, maybe the three <laughs> aspects of, of your coaching capacity and that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, quite interesting trying to think of a place to start really um I suppose um for the last few years I've been working in well I was gonna say for the last few years I'll probably say for the last sort of seven or eight years I've been working in academy football at different levels currently working at Reading Football Club as um well I'm working in the early YDP as we call it so that's sort of looking at the 12s 13s and 14s age groups um also I'm the academy manager over at Hungover Town and Precision um, looking after the 16 to 19s program over there. Um, and then I also do uh, performance coaching uh, under the sort of name of my own company, Perform 2 Free, uh, where I work with professional and academy level footballers and sort of just give them a little bit of help towards their towards improving their development over a period of time. Perfect. So if we start with the... Um... I guess the academy role at Reading, yeah. etc. I guess first question is how did you fall into that, and then can you just describe what your maybe working week would look like? Okay, so kind of fell into academy football. I stopped playing football quite early. I stopped playing football at twenty four, um, and made a really quick decision to go into coaching. I'd done a few badges during my time at university, so I'd got the level one and two out of the way. I'd done. Um, the youth youth awards one and two as well Um, and probably the week after I stopped playing I was on my UEFA B so I sort of got that qual Um, was fortunate to be doing it over Oxford City I had a lot of help from what would go on to be the Oxford City first team manager Mike Jones he helped me out a lot um, and sort of gave me a little bit of advice and gave me the opportunity to sort of work with the younger squads um, and that all led into a role where I was sort of got the opportunity to go into the academy at Bristol City. Um, I worked at Bristol City for just over 12 months um, and then ended up at, over at Reading. Um, so I got the role over at Reading, uh, worked in the foundation phase for the first year. And then ever since then, I've been in sort of the YDP age groups, working with the young players there and sort of helping their transition into the PDP phase. And in terms of what your working week would look like, working with those age groups? Yeah, so working week at the moment is looking like, so the boys will do um, 
evenings and then they'll play on the weekend. So we'll train sort of once or twice in the evenings. Um, uh, if, if they're on day release, then they'll have a day release program also within the week. So we're probably looking at a Monday night session, um, a Wednesday night session. Thursdays would either be an evening session or a day release session, depending on what's available. Obviously, in current times at the moment, it's been a bit difficult to get the boys out of school. Um, but And then we'd have a game on a Sunday. Perfect. So I guess the first question for me from listening to that, what do you think? think has led you to being really successful around this age group so obviously you've mentioned you kind of worked across foundation phase and youth phase and that type of stuff yeah. but what do you think from a skill perspective leads you to being really good in those age groups that you currently work in I think the biggest thing um if I if upon my reflections really I think the biggest thing has been being able to relate to the boys and their sort of stages of development um, I, I was once one of them in, in that position um, and sort of being able to relate to how they're feeling when they arrive, sort of seeing signs of how the boys, uh, what's, what's essential basically for them in, in certain areas. So what, what do they need in terms of their development, being able to go after um, certain things that as a young player, I had to learn. Uh, being able to give them the opportunity to learn them as well, but also leaning on my experiences before. Um, it's been quite a good way of bridging that gap. Um, I see myself as somebody that the boys can relate to a little bit. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm one of the younger coaches um, that we might have um, within the academy. And that that probably means I'm a bit closer to their age group. And I suppose if, if I even go even deeper to myself personally, I'm a bit of a big kid. So the boys will be talking to me about FIFA and Ultimate Team and stuff like that. And I don't know if you can see it in the back, but I've got a PS5 sort of uh, tuned in and ready. Do you know what I mean? So I'm able to talk to them about that sort of stuff and we're able to sort of relate to each other on, on a level. But still, at the same time, I'm able to draw back to those coaching uh, perimeters as they were and give the boys a little bit of what they need but also a little bit of what they like as well and well to get hold of a ps5 by the way um no, don't don't <laughs> that's that's for another story that's for another time <laughs> um so in terms of you mentioned there, kind of drawing on your own experiences of being around the age yeah. group so was there something in particular for you during those age groups that was particularly positive or particularly negative that has allowed you to um, utilise it now that you're working with those ages? Yeah, I think growing up, I don't think as as a sort of 9 to 11-year-old, I don't think I was particularly um, successful in my time at football. I still enjoyed it. I still played quite a decent level of grassroots. But sort of as I got a bit older and my body started to develop a little bit more, um, physically I was able to do quite a lot in football. Um, I was able to train up age groups and sort of play up age groups and I was able to perform quite well in doing that. Um, obviously, they talk about the the sort of experience you'll have away from your footballing setting as well. And I was quite fortunate to have older cousins who played football and were really keen at playing football and I would be knocking around with them quite a lot. Um, so that all sort of helped my development a little bit and it led to me having some really good times in that sort of YDP age range um, being able to understand that and then 
with the experiences coupled from sort of playing, it just gave me more of an insight into the different levels that come within that, that type of development or that, or that area and the development for that area. So I'm fortunate to know what it's like to be a grassroots player um, at that age group, but I'm also really fortunate to know what it's like to be an academy player at that age. I've been able to see what Cat 1 players look like. I've been able to see what Cat 3 looks like. Um, it's given me a really good gauge and also the years that I've spent now coaching within it have given me a really good gauge as to how to develop different types of players and sort of how to sort of have a look at a player and tailor their programme to their individual needs as well. Okay, so leaning on that tailoring bit, obviously the age group you're working with, you see a lot of maturation differences. So oh, I think the 13s and 14s are the yeah. big ones where you've got some of them that look like me with a big bushy beard and then others that still, <laughs> have, their voice hasn't broken yeah. yet. So how do you manage that in a group? So how do you manage those two different ends of maturation? And how do you, I guess, support if it's support, but yeah. also challenge if they need to, uh, more challenge as well I mean if I'm honest that support doesn't come without the work of a good team because as you well know the under 30s age group is an absolute minefield when it comes to keeping players on the pitch um, sort of helping them with really growth-free injuries so um, previous times it's been Severs and Osgoods um, this year I think we're having quite a few hamstring injuries um, and it's all to do with the fact that the boys' bodies are adapting and growing. Um, and it's just making sure that you're able to tailor your programme so that you can consider those, those elements. So maybe sometimes not keep not sticking to the plan of intensity, but tailoring it to what you see, because quite often with certain boys, it can appear on the day. It does, it's not necessarily a pattern of appearance in the under-13s because every day is different as they grow and develop. So you'll get the really small ones who are able to fly through the year without many injuries or without picking up um, too many knocks. But then you'll get the really tall ones that are having to deal with balance and coordination issues. They're sort of going through a really big growthy stage where their bodies are getting longer and the coordination from head to toe becomes a little bit uh, less efficient. Um, and it's giving them the opportunity to then get to learn the ball again get to master, get to pick up all those things that they've sort of developed from nine to nine to 12 that will help them again once they get to this stage as well. So you mentioned around like looking at what you see on that day. So I guess yeah. we're talking mainly about the, the maturing players at that period of time or high growth, yeah. et cetera. What type of uh, red flags are you looking for? or What type of things are, are you looking for? Maybe not necessarily always on the pitch, but yeah. maybe sometimes what type of things are you looking at that might be a flag that actually I need to keep an eye on this boy today? I think the the first thing for me, and I'm quite fortunate because in, in the work that I do away in sort of the performance stuff, a lot of that is based in, on looking and seeing how a player moves. Um, so the biomechanic, the biomechanical side becomes quite important and quite crucial. Um, so with a younger player, it's sort of looking at how they're moving. How are they trying to arrive on the ball? Are they able to give their all? Are they giving their all in terms of their effort when they're running forward or running back? Uh, when they strike the ball, are they sort of withholding a little bit? Do they strike through through the ball 
clean or do they sort of give a little bit less because they know it's going to be a painful one if they strike through it? Um, I think Severs and Osgood's are quite easy to spot because the players will be in quite a bit of pain. Um, and it's, it's quite simple to sort of see when a player's not giving their all because they're trying to sort of hold back from, from that pain barrier. Um, so from that point of view, dominantly I'm looking out for a loss of intensity within their movements, a lack of a lack of extension when they're sort of trying to strike through a ball um, and when they make contact and are they really giving their all in, in each moment? Those are the first sort of few things that I'm looking at before I sort of have a conversation with them about how they're feeling and sort of how they're moving and whether they think it's normal or whether they think they're able or capable of doing more. So that conversation, that was going to be my next point. What is the yeah. conversation you're then having if you do see all or one of those three things you just discussed? So the first conversation is just to ask the player how he feels. Um, first and foremost, I'll be looking at, right, OK, how do you think that you're moving? Because they might not even notice that they're moving in a way where they're sort of protecting themselves and not giving their all. So it's sort of giving them the opportunity to describe how they feel. Do you feel OK? Um, if if you're any academy footballer in the world, that answer is going to be, yeah, I feel brilliant. Um, of course it is. Nobody wants to stop playing football. Um, they love it just as much as we did when we were that young. So um, they want to play, be playing football all the time. Um, but it's giving them that, that sort of understanding that if they continue to play through excruciating pain, so playing up to a certain level of pain, it will naturally help them. But they continue to play through excruciating play and it's actually going to hold them back so they'll they'll have to stop playing for longer so getting them to sort of understand right okay I'm in a lot of pain now I need to go and see the physio department or I need to go and see the sports scientists and do some more exercises um, giving them that opportunity to sort of understand how to cope with it and how to deal with it in, the, in their day-to-day is probably where we go with that conversation um, sort of leading them to the right cues and giving them the opportunity to understand, right, okay, pain's at seven out of 10 now. I need to make sure that I go and do everything I can to sort of get the pain levels down. And how do you manage maybe like a, I'm not saying that, you know, performance is really important at this age group, but how do you deal with a loss of performance, a loss of confidence? Because you mentioned a little bit around people maybe not being able to move as well as they had done previously or yeah. struggling around the ball where they hadn't done previously, which are all, you know, key signifiers. If you've got an individual who, you know, is naturally a very good mover, can bruise bass players and is good with yeah. all his feet like a Zaha, then all of a sudden he can't run past anyone and he keeps tripping over the ball. That's going to have some, I imagine, yeah. know, some negative impact on the player. So how do you go around framing it for them and helping them understand that, you know, that, this is part of their journey and that they will get through the other end? I think initially, I think the biggest thing is to not make a big deal out of it. Um, I think if you're if you're 18, about to step into the first team and it's an issue, then yeah, we're going to have to address it quite sharply. But if you're 13 and it's something that's been your strength um, up to this stage and you're having a bit of a balance and coordination issue right now, the idea is to sort of address that issue without making it such a big deal. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily hide it and, and not tell them, right, OK, well, this, this is going wrong. But at the same time, I wouldn't highlight it to them as, well, you were really good at that and you're not good at it now. So we need to work on it. Um, for me, it's something that will come naturally if, 
if they're given that confidence and if you encourage them because if there's a capacity to do it already it's surely just two or three things that need to eke in in order to get it going again um, so just giving the player a little bit more confidence giving them a little bit more of a um, a belief in themselves that they can get back to those levels and I guess and this is a touchy subject but around the, this time teenagers can become teenagers and I imagine you're going to have you're going to have some boys that are going to be hormonal just naturally part and parcel of it so how do you yeah. deal with those ones because you know if you're more emotional and then if for example you're the thing you were best at is playing football yeah. and all of a sudden you're you, you know you're struggling with that that can be a, a real challenging situation for them yeah so how do you deal with the emotional side of a player that might want to chuckle chuckle his toys out the pram because yeah. he's finding it really really difficult well listen i think that's where the big kid side comes up um i think when when you deal with somebody whose whose confidence leads them or lack of confidence leads them to take things to heart i think it's important that not that you mask it with humor but if we're going to throw the toys up because everybody's got the capacity to do it let's throw them out together right what's what's really important what are we really going after what do you want and let's work towards that instead of working against it so it's getting the players to sort of understand, right, okay, we're in, if you feel like we're in this problem and we're in this predicament and there's an element of your game that we need to work on, right, how are we going to work on it? Let's not waste time being frustrated because things things aren't going in the right way. Let's be open and honest. Let's have the conversations that we need in order to go after the things that, that sort of you want to go after. Go after the things that are going to help you get to the next level. If you're in the 30s, the next step of progression is to go into the 40s and be a confident performer. So how are we going to get you from the under-30s at this mid-stage that we're at now into the under-40s, performing confidently in those elements that you right now are sort of highlighting as an area for development? And have you seen anyone who's done that really well where you've framed it like that and actually they've either assessed it themselves and said, well, I'm going to do this, this and this, or gone okay, yeah, I'm having a rough patch, but I know the, yeah. the context behind it. Have you got any like live examples of that? Yeah, there have been players um, left, right and centre. In, in our environment, we've, we've been fortunate that there have been some good players that have come through and there are players currently right now playing in the first team doing really well. Um, I think that the environment lends itself well to the players that give a lot back into it. So if you're able to have those conversations, if you're able to sort of step out and talk to certain players and talk to your coaches and, right, this is what I want. How can I get to that? And you're able to work towards it and have those conversations. I think that in, in and in particularly Category 1 environments, it lends itself really well to supporting players and sort of helping them progress higher and, and kicking on. Um, I'd say at Reading, there's... I'd be here all day talking about the sort of the examples of players who have turned round and over overcome different different areas um, that they needed to develop in order to make it and are now thriving. Is there one, and you don't have to name the person, but is there one in particular that springs to mind in your experience? Yeah. Um, I know there's, there's currently one guy who is playing in the first team at the moment. Um, and he had, I remember when I first worked with him, he had previously been released 
Um, and in his mind, that was really detrimental to him. He, he had felt as though, right, well, I'm not going to be a footballer. What can I do? Um, and in working with him and sort of speaking to him about his potential and getting him to believe where his development could kick, kick on to, uh, we did a lot of work over the summer and the conversation that I sort of had with him was, if you get this right, you could go and play in the first team. And he sort of looked at me, he looked a bit puzzled. He, first team, no, there's, there's no way. I've just, just finished my scholarship. I'm going into the first year of my pro. Like, I'm not going to go into the first year. I might be lucky if I train. No, if you get this right, you could go and play in the first team. Let's, let's keep working on this. Let's keep going. Let's, let's get this right. And then let's see where it takes us. I don't, know, I don't know who was watching me that day, but for some reason it worked. Uh, he, he went at it, he worked hard, he, he, he did the bits that he needed to do and he got his opportunity and he's, he's done really well with it. He's been doing a lot and he's ended up having a really good first half of the season. Um, hopefully that second half continues, but it's his belief in his own abilities that carry him that far. My words can only open a door and then it's up to him to walk through that and sort of carry that on. Um, it's It was great to be the person that got him to believe in himself, but it's been even better to see him and what he could do through dedicating himself, working hard, putting in the hours of practice that he needed to put in and, and really giving his all. It's been brilliant to see. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the psychological limitations you put you people and players put on themselves and you know is is a big factor in performance sport we'll get back yeah. to the the practice side that you mentioned uh, in a little while because i think it ties into obviously um your performance 23 stuff and i think it'd be really interesting to talk about some of the practices that you do but just linking into the maturation stuff again so if you've yeah. got a maybe an early maturer who's out of growth and everything's going well with and naturally because of their maturation um they're thriving in the group potentially yeah without playing them up an age group which is obviously one way to do it what mm. um tangible ways do you challenge them in your sessions so if we're doing a 1v1 practice or if you're doing phase of play or whatever it is what tangible techniques do you actually use to try and really challenge that individual to work on different aspects of their game yeah i think that Sometimes with early developers, they're, they're really good at being able to utilise play to their advantage. And physically, uh, under 13s, if you're physically dominant, you can have a really good time when you're playing and sort of when you're in and around certain areas. Um, for me, I think that one of the best ways, well, one of the ways that I've liked to do it is sort of to even the playing field by making the pitches smaller sometimes. Um, putting the player in situations where they need to be more technically efficient, um, where you can eradicate some of the physicality. So if you're playing on a full-size pitch, for example, and you're doing 11 v 11, naturally that player is able to exert their physical dominance up and down the pitch. But if we're now on a small-sided pitch, 5 v 5 or even 3 v 3, and you've got players who can technically cope and deal with the ball up against them, and they're passing and moving the ball quicker than that player can run. It now means that they need to find a different way to win. Um, and it's just 
putting that that player in in positions and in scenarios where they have to find a different way to win to what they're used to. For me, that helps them acquire all the skills that they need to, while still being that that early mature. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of doing it and kind of framing it like that and linking it back to something you mentioned earlier, which was around that you played a lot with your cousins when you were growing up. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine for you, if they depending if you were the oldest or the youngest. Youngest that, I was. Say that again, sorry? I was the youngest, yeah. Okay, so you probably had it the other way where you had to move the ball quickly before getting clattered oh, around. Yeah. But I'd imagine that's where a lot of that learning could also take place, kind of schoolyard football back garden down cages whatever that is yeah I think in I think in the school and I mean I had it when when I was at my school I can only speak from my sort of experiences um in in the school ground when you play football you don't play 11 v 11 you play year seven versus year eight or you play year seven and year eight versus year nine and ten and do you know what I mean there could be 30 kids on one team and if you're a talented footballer, you're dribbling through them all. You're trying to get from one end of the pitch to the other um, as quick as you can and score a goal. You haven't got time to think about um, whether whether you can physically dominate or, or, or what passes are on. You're, you're trying to win the game and score a goal. You're, you're navigating your way through an absolute minefield. That can only make you better if you're doing it every day. Um, if you're passionate about it and you're doing it at the right intensity and you're doing it every day, I know we sort of say to players, look, be sensible about what you're doing. But those sort of environments, they bred a calibre of footballer that just thinks for themselves, is, is, is autonomous. Imagine, imagine if you're doing that daily, five times a week, lunchtime, 40 minutes a day, instead of dribbling around cones, you, the people are now your cones. <laughs> you're dribbling around people. You're, you're trying to beat them. You're trying the new skills that you've just learned in your training session in the evening. You're trying to bring them to life out on the, out on the school playground where obviously dreams are made. Do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I think, I think those environments, obviously they, they, they are where a lot of this innovation is created. And do you see a difference between those that do get exposure to that and to those that don't so those that maybe have people on their street that they're able to play games with or cousins or brothers or sisters or whoever compared to those that have no ball game signs up around their estate or those that live out in the middle of nowhere do you see a difference between those two types of players yeah i think the practice is is, is the practice hours those who are repeatedly given an opportunity to practice and perform um, and take it by training and performing at a really high intensity, those kids, they're monsters when they come to academy football. They dominate. They, they make good decisions. They, they think about all the possible um, scenarios or the possible outcomes in each scenario that they're in. They adapt to the environment really well and stronger, more physical, more physical boys. Um, I think there's a real, there's a real home for, for, for that sort of stuff and, and finding those hours. And it doesn't necessarily have to be structured. Um, I think sometimes even the unstructured play helps a lot. So I get this again links into your performance 23 stuff. So yeah, this is obviously more, I imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, more structured yeah. environment and your one-to-ones and all that type of stuff. But yeah, what, sometimes. So, 
Okay, some, you said sometimes. Why do you say sometimes? So, under the sort of Form 23 um, umbrella, um, I would do for, and if we're talking from an academy level, there will be one-to-one sessions, there'll be small group sessions. Um, but also I've been doing sort of performance camps during the holidays and half terms. Um, so this is it's explicitly for players of, 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 of a decent level. Um, so players from different academies will travel down and they'll come and play and train for four hours a day. Um, and we'll do a mixture of some structured stuff that depending on the group of and the cohort of players that we have, that's essential for their development. But then we'll also let them do the schoolyard football and put it on and let them play for 60 minutes in structured, in unstructured teams. So I'm talking no shape. Go on, boys, here's your teams, here's your teams. Come on, let's have a game. Let's see what goes on and, and reward them for being innovative and exciting and, and playing in a hassle-free environment. And the boys love that element of it more because there's no pressure attached to it. I'm not there talking to them about, right, okay, well, you're going into the next phase next year or or your next contract is, you're performing towards your next contract. They're in an environment where they're meeting people who they play against on a Sunday. They're training with, and maybe some people who they train with. There are older boys, there are younger boys, and everybody has to just get on and, and get involved. Um, oldest players might be 16 and, and playing quite high-level grassroots. Youngest players might be 12 and playing in a Cat 1 academy. Um, and they've all got to find a way. They've all got to find ways to be successful. They've got to find ways to win. And the camp is designed around them having to find that way, as opposed to us structuring and manufacturing the environment for them to, to have that every time they go. So I guess there's two questions for me off the back of that. The first one is, yeah. do you see a difference between those academy boys in this environment to the academy environment that they're often in? I don't know if you've had any crossover with the Reading boys, but others that you might have come across during games yeah. and stuff. Do you see a difference between the two environments when they're there? And I guess the, the next question for me um, on this is in terms of them being more creative in this environment, yeah. do you see that? Do you see them being more creative in this environment as well? Um, in terms of the crossover, definitely I see a difference in the boys. Um, I think that naturally we've, how relaxed the camp can be. You're, you're going to relax, you're going to have fun, you're going to enjoy a lot more than you are when you put on your academy uniform and you go into that environment, you've got coaches in uniform and, and you're working towards a cause of a Sunday game or you're working towards a cause of your next two years of development. Um, sometimes when you're there for the two hours, that can take over you and you can feel a little bit more pressure than perhaps you should. Um, whereas when you come to this camp, this camp's all about fun. It's all about, it's about developing. It's about improving as an individual. It's about giving you um, and working towards those brilliant basics that you're going to need along your journey. But at the same time, it's about enjoying it. It's about showing people who you are without anybody being able to judge that. It's not an environment where we feed back and we sort of say, oh, so-and-so was like this for these two weeks or or they, they behave this way. The, the boys own the camp. They run the camp. They police the camp. 
um, they govern what goes on in the camp. It's, it's, it's very much a camp for them as opposed to um, a structured camp where we sort of go, you need this, so you're going to work on that. The group dictates, right, we want to do a bit of this today, so let's, let's work on that, and then we're going to go in and we're going to have our, our game. Right, okay, when we have our game, this is what we're going to prioritise. So one week it might be we're going to prioritise aerial goals, so volleys, headers, bicycle kicks. It might be the next week we're going to prioritise skill moves, so nutmegs, flip-flaps, maradonas, um, and it gives them the opportunity to try that. Now, seeing them go back into their environments, it's been great to see those players that I see in all of their different environments embrace that more creative side, embrace the risk-taking. But it comes as a result of being able to have that carefree environment to sort of go away and try new things in. Do we, do we create enough opportunity to do that? Because I know during half times a lot of clubs will yeah. go away or put on fixtures and stuff. And yeah, it's different to what they do in term time. But obviously, like you said, you're still putting on that badge or still putting on that yeah, uniform. Yeah, I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult. Obviously, sometimes um, I think it's difficult. When, when, when as a club would you allow your players to go and mix with different players from different environments? And, or when would you get the opportunity to? I don't think, I think the biggest thing and why the camp's been so, so successful is it's organic. It's not right, okay, I'm going to meet up with Reading boys and boys from Arsenal and boys from, I don't know, um, Southampton or, or Manchester United. We're all going to come down to one place and we're going to mix and, and things like that. The camp is just literally whoever turns up, turns up. You arrive, you're in, you get to know people, they turn into being part of the camp family and you get the opportunity to go and play. It's become a really rich environment for belief in yourself and self-confidence and and the energy that the boys bring from that probably infuses them and gives them a little stride in their step when they go back into these environments. But I don't necessarily think an academy environment can be like that. I don't, I don't think it, it has the capacity to be like that just purely because there is, there's always an outcome. We're always after an outcome. And I think that rightly or wrongly, I think that it's, it, it, that's a good thing. I think you're always striving towards something in an academy. And that's a good thing. So I think that in sort of creating this camp and, and having it on, I think where I am with it at the moment, as I've sort of discovered, it has a value within this sort of environment because it just creates that break from it all. Um, but then when, when you go back, you're sort of ready to go after the outcomes again. Do you see them either sharing ideas with one another or stealing ideas from one another a lot. So if you've got a lad from Reading who then yeah. gets a lad from West Ham, does he, do you hear those kind of informal conversations? Yeah, or what do you do there? Honestly, it's been good. I've seen, seen boys sharing free kick techniques. Sort of, right, okay, how, what's your routine before you do a free kick? Right, okay, I'm going to try that. Oh, it's good. Yeah, but I do it like this. And sort of, it's, it's a lot like what we do as coaches. Um, sort of when we go on our coaching courses we we get the opportunity at sort of once once the course is knocked on the head we get the opportunity to sort of sit down around wherever around a coffee table or whatever and sort of have conversations with each other and sort of right so how do you do this or what ways have you been doing this and it's, it's similar for the boys it, that's 
that's their opportunity. They get the opportunity to get the footballs out and right, okay, well, I take my penalties in this way. Oh, have you seen the way Mbappe takes them? Or have you seen the way that um, so-and-so takes them? Right, well, this is how this is how I'm going to take them now. And things like that. And they, they get that confidence and it's it's so much of a they get the fulfillment from each other and they get that enjoyment and they get energized by each other by the bright ideas that come from within the group and it just for me there's no more of an organic feeling than watching an under 15 player directly impact the way that this under 12 player is now going to move forward with how he embraces his development might see him and he, he, he might come across and, and not have the right attitude in, in one element and it will mean so much more coming from an older member of the camp saying, no, hang on, this is important. Make sure you get this right because in your environment, your coaches might be watching. Um, and then they get the opportunity to, they go, oh, right, this is important. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stick with it then. I'm going to make sure that I give my all in that moment. It means so much more than me going, so, whoa, whoa, well done, boys. Listen, that's important. You need to make sure you do it. They look at me and they go, oh, he, he's, he's, he's on at me. He's on at me, he's sort of saying to me that I wasn't doing well. Whereas when the 16s said it, no, no, it's important. He's done a lot in academy football. It's important. I'm going to follow him. It's really cool. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, uh, in cricket, there's something called the Bunbury Festival. So okay. basically what they do there is they, I think they split the country into, I want to say six regions, could be wrong. Um, and basically they, they, I think at 16s or 18s, collect all the uh, all the best players from the clubs within that region and then they right. go away for a week and they play like a they train and then play some fixtures against one another Crazy. and you basically end up with a final the last day which everyone watches um yeah. but it is similar in the fact that loads of different clubs come together so if you imagine you'd have a London region, it would be like best players from Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, etc. Right. You'd have the same in the South West. You'd have Manchester. Sounds so, unreal, doesn't it? Which is a really good idea. I, uh, I'd love to see if you could do that in football. But I think what you're talking around there is almost an unpressurised version of that. Because I'd imagine if, if the Premier League went, you know what, we're going to do that as an idea. That's great, but there'd probably be pressure in terms of who was taking the coaching, what was the outcome, all that. Where actually, what you've yeah. got here is that environment, but has happened where kids can decompress slightly, which is it sounds like that's the yeah. beauty of it almost. Well, yeah, I think all in all, it's a soccer camp. The fortunate part of it is the kids happen to be ridiculously talented. Do you know what I mean? And they're able to sort of show that, and they're able to embrace each other and are able to to get on with one another and learn and you might be having a really difficult time at your club but you spend a week in on camp and that might all turn around because you've got the support or somebody who doesn't necessarily see you but is at the same club as you now sort of sees you for sees you in this environment so then when you go into the club you've now got a face that you can say hello to now got you've now got somebody who who's looking out for you because they know all right he goes to the camps he's he, he's doing really well right let's get behind him let's support him let's see how he's getting on and it just creates that brotherhood amongst the boys um, which again can be really powerful stuff no it's really nice it sounds like a really good environment good idea in terms of just being able to support them in a way that is beneficial to them 
Um, moving moving away from this slightly, I guess, and um, I mentioned this to you before, I saw that recently yeah. you got an award with the, the Football Blacklist stuff, so congratulations yeah. on that. Oh, um, no, thank you very much. So do you just want to talk through with people what the actual award was for and the work that they're trying to do, etc.? Okay, so um, you'll have to forgive me if I don't get all of this right. I know that, um, for example, Leon Mann and Rodney Hines, they, they started the football blacklist a long, long time ago. Um, and the idea was to sort of celebrate um, black people who were doing a positive or, or giving positive um, input into a footballing environment and into the game um, from all aspects. So it's not just the playing and the coaching side, it's um, administration, there's management, there's um, players who are off the pitch, the work that they do off the pitch. There's a whole host of sort of awards that they give out and sort of celebrate people each year. Um, I was fortunate this year to have um, been awarded um, as one of the Hugo Ekiog uh, Ones to Watch Awards. Um, so what that is, is for talented people, um, talented young um, black people within the footballing industry um, who have sort of been making an impact um, within the game or who they think have got potential to go and do some wonderful things. Um, from from my own perspective, it's been uh, something that it's made my family really proud. Um, obviously, m- me, myself, personally, I'm, I'm really proud of it. And it's, it's, it's been something that um, having seen the people who have won the award before, having seen the people um, who won the award this year, it's, it's really warmed my heart in terms of um, the work that I've been trying to do. And it's, it's really nice to receive some form of, um, I guess, some form of praise for, for how you're doing. You never really know in this, in this industry whether you're doing a good job unless somebody sort of tells you. So to, to have a panel of people tell me that I'm doing a good job and and to be sort of honoured and rewarded in this way, it's, it's been unbelievable. I've been really, really happy with it. No, it seems like a really good initiative. And um, as I said, congratulations on the award from, from the work that we've discussed over this podcast for the last 45-ish minutes. Yeah. Everyone agree with a worthy winner. I guess from my perspective, um, and for the time that you've been in, in coaching or in the game and stuff, the first question is, have you seen an improvement in this area in terms of, you know, black or ethnic people getting into football clubs and having good roles within football clubs and play, being a prominent voice? Um, I think that in, in the time that I've been in academy football, definitely there's been uh, more of a focus on equality, more of a focus on diversifying coaching staff and and staff within football clubs and and trying to include people. Um, I think that any any initiatives that have that at the heart of what they're doing are so important. I think they help everybody. They give people more opportunity and you feel more justified in in being able and and feel more confident that if you apply for a certain role, you're going to have a good chance of, of being able to at least show people what you can do. Um, and and be out there and be given the opportunity to sort of be counted. Um, go on. No, and I was I was just going to say, and looking at things that maybe we could do better or could be done better to to yeah. promote this type of stuff. Conversations like this are are so important. 
I think being being willing to to listen and and to have conversations and and to learn how to implement strategies and how to implement the opportunity for people to be included and for environments to be inclusive. I think that's got to be at the heart of it. I think we've got to continue to have those conversations. We've got to continue to try and evolve um, in that way and get better. I don't think to to suddenly flick the switch on and go, right, okay, everybody's everybody's performing at 100%. I don't think that's possible. Um, I don't think it would work. But to be able to develop over a period of time and, and get ourselves into a place where each environment can sort of look at each other and go, right, I think we're doing exactly what we can to make sure that the best people for for each role have that opportunity to apply for each job the best people are in the best jobs um and i think naturally that's that's what everybody would want everybody wants and i can't imagine sitting at the top of a coaching environment and not wanting the best people to be in each role that sort of i've i've got available in, in my organization i'd want the best people so if we can create an environment where the best people, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that all the best people are black people, I'm saying the best people. If we create an environment where everybody feels like they've got the opportunity to apply, everybody feels like they've got the opportunity to be seen and heard, then you're one step closer to be able, being able to employ the best people for that role. I think, well, it's... From seeing what you've retweeted before, there was a quote from Chris Ramsey that I really liked. And a lot of what you're saying here kind of goes with what the thinking I have, which is around it's the equality of opportunity rather than outcome. So it's actually providing people with equal opportunity to take part in the interviews or get into clubs, get, I think I, I, this is how I started. You might be different, but you know, going and observing sessions and having the opportunity to go and observe sessions. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we could do with him on a part-time basis. So you're there one night a week and all of a yeah. sudden you get your foot in the door and all that type of stuff. So how can people and clubs and whatnot be more proactive in the opportunity space? I think it's, it's and it's, for me, I think it's, it's providing those opportunities. It's giving people the opportunity to get in front of you. People have, so those who are hiring and those who are in charge of sort of the hiring and firing at, at football clubs, they've got to be accessible. People have got to be able to have the opportunity to display their competency. Um, whether that be, uh, I don't know, uh, when, when you meet up to do your A licence, being able to show and perform and, and, I don't know, be assessed by different people in, in, within the football industry or being able to meet up at, at different meetups, different networking events with academy managers or heads of coaching or, or recruitment teams from, from football clubs where you can display going and, as you were saying, being given the opportunity to shadow coaches um, and go into environments and ask questions and learn a bit more about how they're doing things. And, and maybe, I don't know, if, if you get the opportunity of being able to take parts of sessions and show people that you have got the skills and the availability. I think that for me, that's that's all I've ever wanted. And you're right in saying from, from when I started, it came with me being willing to take the opportunity. When, when I went and applied for my role at Bristol City, I lived 
an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours away. Um, how, I wasn't able to get an opportunity anywhere. They sort of said to me, what, why, are you willing to, why are you willing to come to us? I said, because you're willing to give me the opportunity. You're willing to give me the opportunity, so I'm willing to travel. And I'll do that four times a week because I'm going to become better. I'm going to get that opportunity. Um, and I think it goes hand in hand. If, if you're able to find environments, and I don't necessarily think that all environments are forthcoming with opportunities. Sometimes you can get too busy, but it's opening yourself up and making your environment an environment which provides everybody with opportunity. People are accessible. Um, environments are accessible to be seen and how you work is transferable to those people who are trying to come in and sort of understand a little bit more about how you do things or how they should do things moving forward if they want to get in your environment or just in an environment. So giving people that that access, access to the environment, to the systems, to, to the people within that environment, for me, I think that's what helps them do more helps them feel like they're being, being given opportunities and then gives them that energy to want to commit more. I think it's really interesting you said around the being seen side, because I, I could imagine, um, and this goes all walks of life, but you don't know what you don't know. So, yeah, you know, for me, I wouldn't know where to look if I wanted to go and get into the financial sector or into the business sector. I wouldn't even know where to start. So actually, yeah. my in in the football thing was because, yeah, I played football a little bit, but I was fortunate enough to meet someone who was in the academy environment and got me through the door. How can we get it where more of those people in environments that aren't traditionally exposed to those types of people that I was fortunate enough to meet, get to meet them so that they can get those opportunities? And I guess, are you aware of any particular schemes that kind of really, really promote that? Um, I think I think first and foremost it's important that it's important that if we see it as important that we start to filter that through to everyone that everybody starts to see it as important to have those access to those people um, there's a lot of talk that gets said about black managers within um, within the EFL and the real shortage of them and sort of what I hear and the emphasis is on being able to meet chair, chair people in and around the EFL and be able to meet them and have access to them. That will give you the opportunity of getting a job. One thing that's not going to go away in football is being able to prove your competency through knowledge or knowing people. Um, you've alluded to the fact that your opportunity came as a result of being able to meet someone. I'm certain that my opportunities have come through me being able to meet people and being able to show them what I'm good at as opposed to organically writing a CV and then walking through the door. Um, it's, about, it's about really being able to, to have that access is so important. Um, in terms of initiatives that are sort of providing people with access, I know the Premier League are now starting to do um, some wonderful things. Um, there's something called the Coaches Index, which gives people the opportunity to sort of upload their, their qualifications and apply for jobs um, through the an anonymity. I've got the word out. Um, 
um, of not having to release their name or sort of where they're from and what they do. I, I believe it just gives you the opportunity to uh, to just put forward your qualification and sort of your experiences from there on in. And then employers make their decision through that index of who to interview and, and, and things like that. There, there are, of course, a few Premier League schemes that help to improve the sort of um, equality and, and inclusion um, space. Um, for me, I guess it's just driving those. Um, I know that Kick It Out um, used to do a networking event and I went to one back in 2016. Um, and I met quite a few people who now, I'm fortunate enough to, to talk to on quite a familiar basis. Um, and back then I was looking at them like, wow, this is daunting. How am I going to sit down and hold a 10-minute conversation with them? Um, but being able to go and do that gave me the confidence and the platform to then write, okay, well, I've already met you before. So now when I meet you, I've got somewhere, something to talk about. So it's, it's having more mixes like that, having more environments where these people are there ready and willing to listen, and to, but also to, to give you a little bit, a little bit of advice as well. I would hope that after COVID, everyone would be absolutely foaming at the mouth to get out and about to those type of events. Because whereas I imagine some people previous were like, I've got no interest in going. I bet now with everyone being locked down, it would be really important, isn't it? I think think it's so important. Networking's at the heart of of being able to um, embrace and and learn more about people. If, If you can find a way and find a, a positive group to, to network with. I think you're only as strong as the group of people that you network with um, in this industry. And I think that if you if you can find a way to meet people, if you can find a way to put yourself out there and, and sort of be able to have conversations with people, then you've got a good chance of giving you giving yourself that extra edge when it comes to getting going after roles that you're, you're after or or being employed by certain people. Um, yeah, no, at, the, at the top end, um, do you think that in the coming years we will see some changes? So obviously I know the example that everyone likes to use at the minute is Gerard Lampard and Skulls yeah. and those guys. Now, I'll be honest, I don't like Sol Campbell. And the reason I don't know Sol Campbell is because I'm a Tottenham fan and he went to Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't buy into that one. Dirty, didn't he? Yeah, but um, do you think now, and at least from my perspective, you've got a lot more black players that have come through the system around that time. So people like Heskey, Ashley Cole, etc., who are in and around quite prominent roles. So do you yeah. think now purely, because, not purely, but because of the fact that there's more high-profile previous black players that are in the game that are now interested in it, they'll naturally begin to get some of those opportunities. And I'm sure someone like Ashley Cole, I think if he, if he, you know, goes well at it and really dedicates himself, he'll do really well because the yeah. knowledge it will have, particularly in defensive areas, will be outstanding. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think historically there's always been that stereotype surrounding um, the opportunities provided at a level. Um, what I've what I've found, particularly over the sort of last, I would say, eighteen months, is it's been unbelievable to see the amount of positive 
black role models in the coaching game that are doing really well and thriving. Um, well, I'd probably extend it to even longer. I remember watching Darren Moore. Um, and so my family heritage is Jamaican. So to see Darren Moore as the first Jamaican coach to uh, win a game at Old Trafford is something that sticks in my mind. Um, I saw that and it gave me more energy to, to buckle down and keep working towards my goals. Um, to see Chris Powell standing arm in arm with Gareth Southgate at the Euro final and the journey that they went on and to see him celebrating when they won in the semis um, in the way that he did and to see his celebration when Luke Shaw scores in the, in the, uh, in the final. This, these are memories I won't forget. And to see that calibre of person go on and do so well. Um, and it's not just them. There are loads emerging and in and around that we won't be able to mention because I'll be here all day. Um, but they're doing so well. And for me as a young coach, trying to make sort of movements within the game, seeing them do well gives me that encouragement to keep going. Um, so for me, it's only a matter of time. Um, I see these, I see these talented young coaches like Marvin Bartley, who's doing really well up in Livingston, and seeing him and if he gets the opportunity to go in management, it, it can only be positive for him. Um, seeing different coaches in 23s roles, if they get the opportunity to go into first team management or into first team coaching, then the natural progression is to then go into first team management. So they're getting closer and they're proving that. They've got the ability to do really well. So now that we're sort of seeing them do well with the opportunities that they're given, it's only right that they'll naturally be able to sort of take over and 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 be able to take those management roles and do really well in them as well. Um, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting case, and I guess one I to, to finish this up. How much of an effect do you think it can have with the players? So, you know, I gave the example earlier around the not making eye contact thing. Um, yeah. There's been other examples that I've heard of, of, you know, players that have been tried to be coached in a specific way and family have said, no, listen, you know, we're a particular type of heritage. We're very command style at home. That's what he responds to. You do that, yeah. you'll get the best out of him. And that's that's what's happened. So, I guess from my perspective, how much of an impact do you think having diversity of opinion or diversity of experience can have one in terms of supporting the children better? Because in yeah. player development, that's the ultimate goal. We want to develop them as best we can. But two, to try and um, educate one another better. So, you know, we could sit in an office and I say, I'm struggling with this player and you'll go, well, actually... I know this about his family or from my experience yeah. with these type of families equally, I'd be able to do the same from mine. So how important is that diversity and how much education support could take place in that environment? I think, I think embracing diversity and understanding it, I think it's one of the most important factors that go into the difference between a player making it and not making it. Um, especially if they're from a diverse background. Um, I think that players who feel like they're understood, who feel like they've got solid relationships and, and strong relationships and that people understand them, will give more. 
I think they'll naturally give more to your environment. They'll they'll push harder. They'll they need they'll want to they'll want to give more. They'll want to give you as much as they possibly can because they know that um, you that you understand them, that you know what they're going through. Um, I think one of the best examples I've had is we had a young player who um, was fasting and but training, still training, but but coming in and he, he was fasting and he would break his fast in between training. Um, fortunately for myself, I'd had this player from a young age right the way up to the age that he was at the time. Um, but he'd had different lead coaches the entire time through. So once we sort of once we sort of got round to the period of time that he'd be fasting, I'd almost be right, okay, all this time. Right, he's gonna be fasting for this week. We're gonna to need to make sure that we adapt our sessions round him having that 15 minute break where he can go off, break his fast, eat, drink some water, relax a little bit, and then come back out and finish the session. Um, and it wasn't difficult getting coaches to understand it, but if you've never experienced it before, if you've never had a player in your group that, that is fasting at the time, it can come as quite a bit of a shock. What he's got to leave in, in 15 minutes and come back. Why? And, and and where's he going? And is he why is he taking 15 minutes out? And sort of giving them the opportunity to, to understand that, but also keeping the player involved so that the player now, you're at that age now where you need to manage that. You need to let your coach know, right, I, this is what I this is what I'm doing. This is what I'll need at this certain point. Can we have that? Can, is that okay if I do that? Um, and giving the player that 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 ownership of it, so then it becomes an environment where they're embracing it now as well. There's no embarrassment of I need to leave the session 15 minutes and come back, and everybody's going to feel like I'm different to them. It's no, this is what I do. So I'm I'm off to go and to go and break my fast. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Um, this, this is how I'm going to manage it moving forward. And, and having those conversations, I think, can be really empowering. But including the, the young person in that as well really helps because then they feel like they've got people, they're working with people who understand them. Listen, Reese, really appreciate your time and hopefully can catch up with you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.